Welcome to the Self-Subscribed Podcast. Welcome, friends. I'm Amy, your host of Self-Subscribed. Tonight, we have our first guest of the season with us. We're going to be welcoming Thomas onto the show, who is a therapist and can probably give exceptionally better advice than I can. So we are going to talk to him, pick his brain a little bit. I hope you guys enjoy. Thomas, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? <laughs> I am good. I'm doing really good. Uh, tell good. me about your weather there today. Uh, well, Oklahoma is actually one of the windier states. And so when like cold fronts move through and stuff, like the wind chill is just stupid here. So, uh, it's, it's been in the fifties, but it's been really windy. So it's been, been a bit, bit brisk today. (laughs) Yeah. Hard pass on the wind for me. That's a no. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Like there, there have been, I think one of the coldest nights I had here, it was about 20 degrees, which isn't unbearable, but with the wind chill, it was like negative five. Oh my gosh. Um, oh yeah, no, it was, it was a mess. Do you have snow? No, we really don't. Um, we, we get more ice than we get snow here, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. So okay. yeah. It's so you have pleasant. all the dangerous things, the ice, the tornadoes. Yeah, we we've actually recently <laughs> here in the last like ten years started having small earthquakes too. So I'm like, you know, if if, if I'm gonna have to deal with earthquakes, part of me is like, I should just move to California because then I'd lose the tornadoes. Well, but... yeah, you'd have the <laughs> the earthquakes and the fires. So, right. I don't know if that's really an upgrade so, for you. Okay, so yeah, tell me, it... <laughs> um, tell me about why you do what you do. Why why a therapist? Why do you want to help other people? Oh man. Um, so I I was, it's right. That's a big (laughs) question. I like it. Um, that's a very therapist tactic. Um, so when I was in my twenties, really when I was a teenager, even like I was convinced that I wanted to work with like middle school and high school kids. Like I grew up in church and so like youth pastor seemed like a dream gig. Um, but, you know, once you realize how much that gig pays, you're like, oh, this isn't going to work. Um, so no. I, I, oh, yeah, no, it was it was not good. <laughs> um, I was your your cliche youth worker who was also working at Starbucks to get cheap health insurance. For sure. Um, and, you know, so at that point I realized, you know, if I was going to have a family, I needed to kind of figure some things out. Um, there was a good, probably five year stint where my resume was just a hot piece of garbage. Um, yeah, I've worked for a mortgage company an energy company. I worked in the outdoor industry briefly selling, you know, North face gear to people and, um, you know, just kind of trying to find things. Uh, I worked for an audio video company doing install work, um, which was actually really fun, but, uh, wasn't meant to be, um, and really it it came down to i was i was in a separation um my my now ex-wife and i were not um not together and i found myself really just saying 
life kind of feels like it's fallen apart and I haven't found a lot of success professionally that I thought I was going to find. I need to figure out what that's going to be. Um, and so for me, I, I sat down with like a stack of post-it notes. I was staying at, um, some, some friend's house and they had a bunch of clear wall space on the bedroom wall. And so I just started hanging post-it notes up and saying, okay, option one, you know, graphic designer, whatever it was and option two, this thing. And, and my that. undergrad degree was, yeah, it, it was, it was an interesting process cause it, I had some really random ideas pop up on that wall. Um, <laughs> And so I, I found myself saying, okay, my undergrad degree was psychology. What if I went back and did that? Because I loved the parts of my job that were kind of the less glamorous parts of like sitting with teenagers when they're freaking out about things of, you know, life decisions and, you know, like struggling with their identity and all that. And I was like, that feels a lot like therapy. Like maybe I should do that. And I was in some of my own at the time. Um and so I kind of just fell into it by accident, really. Like it, it was it's like psychology wasn't really on my radar. Um, I was a theology major in undergrad. And when I left that school, they said, well, if you're ever going to go to seminary, they like psych majors. And I found that it was, you know, seminary, well, or for a psych degree, all I needed was like math for general education and a whole lot of psych classes. And I'm not a math guy. And so it's like, this is perfect. This is like <laughs> the stars of a line. Be. Right. And so, you know, kind of looking back and saying, okay, well, if I did this, how would it look? And I was able to kind of map some things out where, you know, ultimately I could go into private practice at some point. I could be my own boss. So, and I'd been fired from a job and the thought of getting fired again really freaked me out. Um, and I said, I can be my own boss. And at that point, then I can build my schedule and my availability around my kids. Um, and that was a lot of what really drew me to it was I can get paid enough to live and I can also be available for my family the way that I want. Right. Um, you know, so a, a lot of it, while it was kind of self-serving, it, it also kind of scratches the itch of like getting to sit with people while they're trying to figure out their life and, and kind of that like kind of semi pseudo pastoral kind of role in a way. Um, so that that was kind of how I fell into it. Okay, so two two part question. Uh, mm -hmm. Number one, do you feel like when things kind of fall into your lap like that, that that's when it's meant to be? When you kind of let go and let things in your life just happen, then that's when the right things or the correct things happen to you. Um. I I think that that's very much a possibility. I won't say that it's exclusively that because I think there are a lot of people that are very stubborn and barely strong-willed and try to just kind of bend the universe to the direction they want to go. Right. And some of those people find a lot of success. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't know that it's exclusively that, but I think for me, like it's, it's kind of looking at it in the sense that if, if I'm digging in my heels and I'm pushing back on things constantly, like I'm expending a lot of emotional energy mm -hmm. just to try to get from point A to point B. And to me, there is something really relieving in relinquishing control of things and saying the stuff that's meant to stay is going to stay. So you don't um, believe in uh, manifestation, anything like that, where you will the things uh, to happen to you. 
Well, I mean, I I think I, I, I would say that I believe in manifestation in the sense that I can feel kind of a call to move my feet a certain direction. You right. know, like I think for me going into therapy, it was like, this is a thing that I can visualize and a thing that I can see. And, and this is something that I think that I would be good at. And so in that sense, like, yeah, I think I manifested it, but that said, like, if I wanted to, to, to hang it up tomorrow and go flip burgers, I could probably do that. Right. Um, you know, so I, I, like, I think that there's more than one way to get there. I think that the, the universe is maybe a little more multifaceted than we give ourselves credit for. You know, I think when we get really stressed, yeah, I think when people get stressed, we pull things down to like option A, option B, because thinking about more than two options feels really overwhelming. Right. And so I think it's easy to say either I'm going to bend this to my will or I'm going to let the universe take it, you know, and, and sometimes we relinquish a little bit of control, but like not in the right way. And then we end up real stressed. Yes. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, okay. So bending things to your will, what do you think of manifesting versus manipulation? How would you define or separate those? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I, I think manifesting is internal work and I think manipulation is external. Oh, um, I like that. I, I, I think manifesting is I know who I am and I know what my values are and these are the things that matter to me as a person that if I'm in conflict with them, I'm, I'm going to really struggle in life, you know, like to me, the, the bending things to your will, like I'm constantly full of fear or anger or, you know, concern, and I'm constantly trying to force things to make it work. Right. So it's an external thing where I'm trying to influence my environment to serve my end goal. Right. Where if I'm manifesting, I think it's looking at it and saying, you know, the God, the universe, however you want to frame it, like that, that's going to do what it wants to do. And I'm just a boat in the water going downstream. And it may be a more enjoyable ride for me if I just paddle the direction that I think I'm supposed to be going. But no, I can alter course if I need to. Right. And that's, I think, you know, manifesting things, um, I definitely believe that that can happen, but I also believe that you have to put forth that effort you know, you can't just sit right. at home on the sofa and manifest that uh, you become a millionaire or whatever. And you've, you've done literally nothing. So there, there's right. that effort and that action that has to take place. Um, but yeah, manipulating when you force things to happen. And I've noticed uh, definitely in my life when I have manipulated situations where I'm like, no, this is the right way. This has to happen. And Every time I do that and I force the situation, it goes downhill steadily to a crash and burn mm-hmm. situation. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I try yeah. to do that hands off. I know what I want or I know what my desires or the purpose is or whatever. And that's the direction I'm going to head. But, mm-hmm. you know, if doors start closing, okay, well, then that's not it. And I have to let go and I have to be okay with it. That's the difficult part is being okay. Oh, with yeah. It. No, it. Yeah. Yeah. Being okay with the outcome is, is the tricky part because I think, you know, it, it's where things get scary, you know, and I've, some of the stuff you're not kind of talked about, I think before this, like looking at, you know, work or relationships or anything, it's like, like I walk into a relationship knowing that like full well, like somebody could leave if they wanted to. 
And at that point, then, okay, well, am I going to manifest and say, well, okay, if there's nothing I can do about that particular relationship, I need to kind of accept that this is the situation I find myself in, right. or do I try to manipulate right. it and like force the person to stay? Cause then it's all like a hostage negotiation. It's not really like a it's relationship. Not a relationship right. And that's, I've always said that. Whereas, you know, if somebody doesn't want to be with me and doesn't want to put forth the work and the effort, okay. Because then it's not mm -hmm. fair to me and in turn, not fair to them because I'm not giving back to them what I feel like they deserve if they're giving me nothing, you know? So it's right. when people do that, they're like, no, we have to stay together. We have to, have to, we have why they don't, right. they don't like you, you know? And so I've gotten to right. the point finally where I'm confident in myself and if people want out, goodbye, but there's no coming mm -hmm. back. And that's, right. that was the really hard one for me was like, you know, once that door is closed to those people, there's a reason they're gone and they're out of my life. I don't need them back yeah. for anything. So I think a lot yeah. of people are like, no, no, come back. Go back in my life. Let's revisit. <laughs> Let's rekindle. Let's start up this toxic flame again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, the dating scene in this day and age is a cesspool of just absolute filth. Right. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's it. I, and I think, you know, it's sometimes it's, it's looking at things in the sense that like, and it's like, we, we sometimes go back to stuff. Cause like, even if it's not good, it feels comfortable. Um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's looking at those things and saying, okay, you know, that, what, what does it look like to, to go, like more all in on me in this instead of just saying, well, this wasn't perfect, but like it wasn't the worst thing ever. So let's start there. Right. right. And that's, um, that's kind of an analogy that I've said to several people. I can't even remember who it was that I said it recently to, but it's, that's why people go to like McDonald's is it's not because it's mm -hmm. good for them. It's because it's comfortable. Yeah. You know what to expect. Mm -hmm. You're guaranteed to get the same thing every time. It's, People right. gravitate towards what they know because going out of your comfort zone into the scary unknown, you don't know what's going to happen and we freak out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think like, like there, there's definitely degrees of that. And, you know, sometimes you get into a relationship and it's like, okay, like this is unsettling, but it also like kind of keeps me alert. Right. Like I, I like, being in a relationship that doesn't let me be lazy um you know not in the sense that like i want to be fearful that the person's going to leave all the time but i like someone that kind of keeps me on my toes because like it means we're playing the game you know like i'm i have to be alert to this and they have to be alert to me and mm -hmm. like we're both intentional in it and i i think creating that kind of space is um I mean, and, and maybe it's just like the mental stimulation and like the emotional investment of, of the dynamic. But to me, I think it's more fun to have that kind of interplay because then it's like, you know, like we, we've got this thing that we like feed into regularly and, right. and it's, it's, it just feels more rewarding. I think that way. And I think you said it when um, you said it's intentional, you know, you're, mm -hmm. just, you're just not sitting back and letting things happen or whatever you're it's intentions and you're purposefully doing things. I think a lot of that gets lost and, yeah. you know, people don't think through 
things a lot. It's easy to get lazy. Right. Being aware, you know, having that honest communications and being comfortable and working things out together. You know, both parties should have a, a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, tough stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very um, much. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is the best advice that you have ever received? <laughs> um, man, uh, I, well, so I, I would say one thing, I think that the two different people, and it was funny because at the time, I don't think either one of them knew me, uh, or no, I'm sorry. They both knew me. They didn't know each other. Um, so that, that's a, a typo on my part. Uh, they didn't know each other, but both of them kind of in the same season when life kind of felt like it was falling apart, both of them got in my face and they were like, you got to own your crap, man. Um, because I had spent a lot of time being very defensive, um, and feeling like I kind of had to justify my reasons for things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, and I would, and and to a degree, it's something that I still have to be careful about. Um, but I mean, it's easy for me to like think through a process and verbalize this thing out loud. And it feels like I'm trying to just like justify my existence. Um, and, and I think sometimes it's easy for me to invest so much in trying to justify my position. Like it's a debate almost that I forget to like take ownership of part of why I'm in this mess is because I've walked myself into it. Um, you know, and, and so for both of them to like lovingly shake me and be like, you need to own this buddy, um, was very much a wake up call to me because I think it was something that when I was younger, it, it was a pretty, pretty good blind spot for me to, you know, overlook my own culpability and things right. just cause I was like, I, you know, it, cause in, in my mind, I think I thought I was doing things for the right reason. Um, and you know, sometimes that would get kind of off kilter though. Um, you know, and not in like a manipulative, like terrible kind of way. It was just like, like I was working 60 hour weeks doing two jobs and I was burning the candle at both ends and I couldn't really see the ways that I was not showing up at home the way I needed to. Um, you know, and so I, I think in, in looking back at it now, I see where there was times that maybe I dismissed things or I just wasn't available because I didn't have anything in the tank. Um, you know, and, and but then it came across as very dismissive when I tried to like explain myself. Um, so being told like, just own it, man. Like it, it forced me to be very direct in, oh, there's like a direct line between point A and point B where this went badly and I had a hand in it. Um, so so I think that was transparency within yourself, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just getting really honest with myself really fast and, you know, not necessarily being unapologetic about me being me. Like, I think it's good to be authentic and be true to yourself, um, you know, but I think sometimes that may still leave me at, at a place where me and another person or me and my employer or whatever, like sometimes our goals are not the same. And so, you know, it's like I can accept that. That may mean that things need to change and I may need to transition someplace else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think, yeah, ultimately it's like, I, I have to own who I am and be authentic in who I am. Um, 
and I think a lot of that for me when I was a kid, you know, I remember listening to, you know, a lot of sermons on like how terrible we were and like, oh, we're all born sinners and this and that and the other. And I, I spent so much of my life apologizing just for existing um, because I thought that was what I was supposed to do, you know, rather than say, OK, yeah, like I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to screw up like all of us are going to screw up and, you know move move the ball upfield which sometimes means moving laterally and you know taking ownership of a situation saying well i thought i was going to go forward this way turns out it's not going to be that way so i need to pivot and sidestep a couple of things maybe or take a step back to take a, a few more steps forward um you know and and so i think yeah that that was the other one was the the first therapist i went to um <laughs> which is maybe a weird statement to say. I've only had three. I'm not going to like, I haven't seen like 12 different people. No, no, absolutely we do. Um, And honestly, for me, it's a red flag if a therapist doesn't have their own because they they drilled it into me in school that if I'm not willing to sit on the other side of the room, then I really need to question why I want to be on the therapist side of the room. Um, But I remember my first therapist really kind of pulling the thread that was, you know, why do you think you don't deserve some of these things? You know, why do I think that I don't deserve to be happy or that, you know, not that like God's out to get me or anything, but just, you know, it was, was everything I think had this kind of existential dread of like, it's going to be harder than it's supposed to because I'm a flawed human and I'm going to screw stuff up. And once I realized that that wasn't really the point that like, if my spirituality, like, adds to my burden and adds to my chains and doesn't add to my liberation that I'm doing it wrong. Um, you know, and, and once I realized that, and, and this guy, I love this dude to this day, he was one of my favorite people. His name was Max and he looked like he was about 90 years old. Um, and he would like give me like quarterly updates on his like half marathon times because he like would go out and run half marathons and, uh, you know, and I was trying to get into running at the time. And so I was like, okay, this dude's like old enough to be my grandpa. And he's like running <laughs> more miles badass. than I am. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was like, I need to get my life together. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, no, he, he was so good. And it was so funny. Cause I mean, he was like a giddy little school kid. Every time he'd get like a really good time on his marathon, he'd be like, oh dude, gosh. check out what I did this week. So cute. Oh yeah. It was so good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was I a fantastic that. guy. I don't, I think that you, you have to be authentic to who you are so that you can be proud of who you are. Yeah, you know, that's, no, absolutely. I think practicing that is super hard, but also being true to yourself is like the highest form of respect and honor that you can give to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm still learning that. That's hard. I think it's hard for everybody, you know, to own your, oh, yeah. like, this, this is who I am and not necessarily unapologetically saying this is who I am take it or leave it you know you have to use some sort of decorum you know you have to be classy you have to not be offensive but the core of who you are should shine through I think always and that's that is tough Mm -hmm. especially not comparing yourself to other people Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's comparing yourself to other people. And I think it's like comparing yourself to like the most negative voice in your head. Right. Like, cause 
which is a total therapist thing to say. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, I, I, I work with a lot of military guys in group. And when I sit down with them, I'm like, okay, like, you know, why do you feel like you're stuck at this point? And they're like, well, I just don't feel like I can make any moves. And I'm like, okay, who's telling you that? What does that voice in your head sound like? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, this potentially sounds like a parent. It sounds like a school teacher. It sounds like your drill instructor. Like somebody at some point flipped a switch in your brain that potentially makes you think that you're not going to progress. Right. And then you take that ball and run with it because your brain's like not wired to keep you happy. Your brain's wired to keep you alive. And so looking for all these threats and looking for all these negatives feels like a survival skill, but it's a really easy way to get yourself stuck in the mud too. So I'm going to turn on that and mm. I'm going to ask you, since most of the guys you talk to, you're military or whatever, how do you view how this country treats mental health? Mm. That's a loaded question. Though, I know. I told you none right. of my questions would be easy. And these, I'm pulling no, all of it. these out of my ass. I hope you appreciate that. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, man, it, I mean, I, I will say that things have improved, um, you know, I mean, for what they were, because, you know, a lot of times, you know, people, and, and I think some of it is that, like, therapy doesn't get portrayed very graciously in media, right? Like, oh. you know, people look at, at seeing a therapist and they either think of Nurse Ratched or, like, Goodwill Hunting, right? So oh, yeah. either you're, you're in, like, shackles getting your brain zapped and, like, an asylum, or Robin Williams is trying to hug you and you're like, no, don't do that. Right. Like no, thank you. And there, therapy is very rarely that, right? Like a lot of times it's, it's looking at these things and saying, okay, what about, and, and I really like existential therapy, right? Like I'll, I'll throw these guys a curveball and say, you know, you're, you're active duty in the military. You absolutely hate going to work, stay home. And they're like, no, I can't do that, man. I'll go to jail if I do that. And I'm like, okay. But is jail more enjoyable than going to work with your toxic boss who yells at you and swears at you and makes you feel like you're a terrible person just for breathing and putting shoes on? And they're like, well, I mean, I get that, but I still can't do it. I'm like, okay, cool. Then you need to like find a different alternative because your brain is saying, I'm unable to do this, but then you have to go do it. And you just end up ping-ponging between those two extremes. And there's like 50 different points in the middle, right? Um but but to your question of like how how we treat mental health, um, I mean it it's it's really tricky because I think for people who have some resources and have some income, it's easier to get access to good care, um, you know, because their insurance pays for it and their insurance pays for certain kinds of treatment that not everyone gets access to. Um, you know, like in Oklahoma, like our, like with Medicaid, like, you know, that whole insurance thing, not that it's about insurance, but like with Medicaid, they pay for one-on-one -on -one therapy or they pay for inpatient therapy. And like I work in, like I'm, I'm in a psych hospital, um, when I'm not doing my, my own practice, but at the psych hospital, I work in like this midpoint between inpatient and individual therapy and, Medicaid doesn't cover that. And so insurance looks at it and says, you know, if you're in crisis, if you're, you know, in the middle of a suicide attempt, we'll get you stable. But after that, we don't want to step you down. We want to just throw you back to your individual therapist and, and hope that stuff sticks. Um, 
you know, there's still a lot of stigma about conditions. There's still a lot of, of people who are fearful of things and, you know, things get kind of politicized in the news of anytime there's a, an active shooter event, people are like, oh, well, he was probably mentally unstable. And I'm like, there's plenty of people that are shopping next to you in the aisles at the grocery store <laughs> like that are dealing with unstable. a mental health condition. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but like, they're not like, like active shooter type people, right? Oh. Like they're just super, super anxious or they're really, really depressed. And like, they right. just want to get their salad and go home. Right. But like, you know, we, we tend to kind of polarize and, and kind of throw a lot of hyperbole, I think at, at mental health just because like the the stuff that makes the headlines is always the extreme cases mm -hmm. and not just you know today i got out of bed and i made it to the couch and i turned on the tv and like that's as much as my depression let me do today and that's like a big win for somebody yeah and that's you know i 100 percent agree with you um with the insurance you know i work for a global corporation and i thought mm -hmm. surely uh, my insurance would be fantastic when it came to mm -hmm. getting sources out of mental health. No, it's total garbage. It's absolute yeah. trash. And it, it's just, it's not important to them, you know? And so I think that's right. drastically unfair. Um, yeah. That's how this country views it, you know, but on the other hand, there's a lot of people who abuse it. You know, I don't sure. feel like going to work today. So now I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't, right. you know, and they throw out words that they overuse and misuse. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think it is a serious clinical problem for some people and other people just are sad. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and, and I think, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's, it's tricky because like with mental health, it's not the same as like an injury, right? Like I, I can go in if I break a bone or I sprain something, like I can get an x-ray, I can get a CAT scan. I can do something that like, like clinically vets like, oh yeah, I can see that broken bone. Here's a cast, right? Like mental health is this kind of like, it, it's a lot more vague in the sense that like, I internally know how I feel, but nobody can like hook me up to an x-ray machine and like prove that, right? Like, cause it's all whatever data I tell you, right? Like, do you feel sad? Oh yeah, I feel sad all the time. How are you sleeping? I'm not sleeping great, right? Like you can like embellish these things. And I mean, and I've seen it happen. Like people come in and they oversell their condition or they oversell what's going on. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, one of those deals that it absolutely can be abused. Um, and it sucks because it, you know, the only people who really pay the price in those situations are the ones who are actually struggling because they, you know, have to wait to get help because somebody else is in line ahead of them that is just trying to avoid work. <laughs> so. Exactly. So uh, that takes me back quite a ways for, I said I had a two part question. And then I never finished. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like a 75 part question. So we'll go back because I remembered it. Um, yeah. And it no. was you had talked about going to church as mm -hmm. a kid. So I want to know what was your childhood like? And do you still go to church? Is that an active part of your life as an adult? Okay. Um, I mean, childhood for me was, was pretty good. Um, I'm actually adopted. Um, 
but it was like a closed adoption at birth. So like my parents knew I was coming before I was here. Um, you know, and so I, I'd spent like three days in foster care at like somebody's house while the agency like finalized all the paperwork basically. And then I was home with my parents. Um, you know, and, and I really don't have a bad thing to say about it. Like my parents are fantastic people. I love them to death. Um, you know, like all, all the stuff they talk about in therapy of like having mom and dad issues. Like I, I, I can, like cognitively, I understand that stuff. And I'm like, I don't know that I really experienced a lot of that firsthand. You know, like I think what I had was like normal teenager kind of stuff where like, you know, my dad was a, a, a military guy before I was around. He was in the Army Reserves. And I think, you know, in, in that culture, they drill on the idea of like, if you're 15 minutes early, you're on time. Right. And I was like, yeah. I'll show up like three minutes after I'm supposed to be here, um, <laughs> you know, and so like we butted heads a lot because he was like, no, you're like late. You're constantly like getting home. Da, da, da. And so like as a teenager, I was like, OK, but I was like hanging out with church friends. Would you rather maybe like be home 20 minutes early, but like hanging out with guys smoking behind the 7-Eleven, um, <laughs> you know, and so we, we used to kind of butt heads on that stuff when I was younger. Um, you know, but like, yeah, it, it, it was, it was a pretty good season for me. And, and I think for me, um, like church was very much a part of my identity. You know, obviously it's like the whole Bible belt thing in Oklahoma. Like right. even if you don't go to church, you're very culturally churched here. You know, we've got as many denominations and types of churches in Oklahoma as most ice cream shops have flavors. And um, closed on Sunday. <laughs> right right yeah um you know so so we have that um i i think for me like there was a lot that was very like shaping in my upbringing in church um particularly in high school like i fell into a youth group that was made up primarily of people that i actually went to school with um which i'd never had before like it was always you know maybe one, two people that I would see at school and then a whole bunch of people from other school districts. Um, so all of a sudden when I was like thrust in this in, into a community that was who I saw day in, day out, Monday through Friday, but also who I saw on Sunday. Um, and there was a lot of very like unique things that happened, I think, in terms of like the dynamic of, of that group of people in that time. Um, you know, in the sense of like fostering like what my sense of spirituality was and the people that were just there that were just like, really 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 good people um you know and it's easy to like kind of visualize that and be like okay yeah those people right but like they were like people that like i would ask any time of day for anything and they would be accommodating and i was like ready to reciprocate that at a moment's notice right like they they were all super people um you know and so I think a lot of that was really good for me. Um, I think where where I am now, um, church is not really a part of my day to day at the moment, uh, and and it's not that I'm opposed to it. I'm not opposed to going. I'm not opposed to being in the community, um, but part of it for me is like I I worked for a church for a few years, and it was one of the most unhealthy places I ever worked. Um, like it was just ridiculous levels of politics and like going behind each other's backs and things that um just kind of soured the whole experience for me um 
you know, and, and there's still people in church and, and in town that I love and respect dearly that are super people. Um, but there's just parts of it that for me, like my, my skin just kind of crawls a little bit more than I would, would like it to when I go. Um, you know, and I mean, for me too, like also I, I have a, a brother who's trans and like that doesn't really fly in most faith communities. And so my, my general rule of thumb is that if they wouldn't invite my brother to church on Sunday, then they're also not inviting me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's a, a pretty hard line for me, but I think the, the counter end of that to me is that I've found a lot of spirituality and a lot of groundedness in just being outdoors. Um, yes. like for me being, being in nature, being out in the woods, going out of my kayak on, you know, mm-hmm. a river or something like that. Like that to me feels like what I remember church being in high school that I loved. That was just like, I felt like I was like directly plugged into like the universe, you know, it was like, like everything just kind of gelled and fell into the right place where it was supposed to be. Um, and and for me, like being out in nature is that now, you know, and and there's a lot in church culture that's kind of gotten hyperbolic and political. And and I think, you know, for me, it, it hits a little too close to home in that sense. Um, but but I think as much as anything, you know, like I, I have to think about in like the broad historic sense of spirituality, like, you know, people didn't go to abandoned warehouses that had $50,000 lighting setups and fancy speakers and smoke machines back in the day, right? Like you you were going to like maybe some sort of temple that was fashioned out of stone, but otherwise you were just walking around in the wilderness. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's like, so, so I think for me, like, like it, it, it's not that I'm opposed to the idea of church, but it's that like, I don't know that there is a church that like conceptually feels like home to me anymore. And so I kind of find myself like kind of wandering a little bit in that. Um, uh, total aside, but like kind of on, on topic, if you've watched any of the like Star Wars stuff, mm-hmm. um, like uh, Ahsoka's character arc, like I feel like I relate to Ahsoka's character arc a whole lot. Um like in her whole thing, it was like, you know, she was growing up to be a Jedi and was like in the club and like doing all the cool things. And then like they kind of turned out to to not be the people that she thought they were going to be in, in relation to her. And she ended up walking away from it and, you know, but continued to be a force for good kind of out in the universe, you know. And so there, there was something I remember watching that with my kids, watching Clone Wars and like watching her whole story. I was like this is real nerdy, but like, I kind of get this vibe. <laughs> I relate. No, like, I love that actually. And I completely agree. That's, you know, I grew up going to church as well, but as an adult, it, I find my safe place or the place where I want to worship or where I feel connected or spiritual. Really? That's the word I'm looking for is spiritual right. is out in nature. I love hiking and finding new places and I feel so connected to something that's greater, Mm -hmm. you know, whether that's, you know, that's God or that's the universe, it's whatever, but it's in the building with the people who are judging me. I just don't feel (laughs) like that's worship. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think like there, there are places that I can think of that I've been in the last 10, 15 years that are, are places that are good people and, you know, and that are trustworthy, but, you know, sometimes it's just really hard to engage. And some of that is very likely my own issues and my own, you know, having worked for that environment and worked in that, that role. Um, you know, like I, what, what I tell people a lot of times, cause I've had people in therapy that ask me, they'll be like, you know, like, do you go to church or you do I like identify as a Christian or you spiritual or whatever? Like where, where do you fall in this? I actually had one guy who was like, if you give me anything in therapy that feels spiritual or like new agey, I'll walk out that door and you'll never see me again. And I was like, oh cool, we're going to talk cognitive neuroscience instead. <laughs> um, you know, and so like I, I teach him mindfulness, but I call it something entirely different so that like. Right he's, he's kind of backdooring into it, you know, but, but I think for me, what I usually tell people is like, I, I like Jesus. I like to think that Jesus and I are cool. And uh, I spend most of my time out like where he made stuff rather than like hanging out in the building. Like the, the business model just doesn't really make sense to me anymore. Well, and you know, the fact that you said, you know, if a church wouldn't invite your brother, okay. I 100% agree with that. Who were Jesus's friends? The prostitutes, right. the tax collectors, the people who were labeled right. as the bad people, the rejects of society. And right. these people in the buildings who call themselves Christians are cruel to the outcasts. Yeah. You know, they are the ones who outcast these people and treat them like garbage, which is the opposite yeah. of what I think that they were taught to do. So that's, right. you know, that's where I put up the walls and I say, no, I'm. I'm good doing me out in nature. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some days I almost kind of feel bad about it. Cause I'm like, there's probably like some trauma response stuff in that, that like I'm a little too closed off to it, mm-hmm. but there, there's also, I'm like, you know, the other end of it is like being out in nature and like looking at creation and like watching the sun go up or watching the sun come down or going out on a hike and like it's rainy and it's kind of cold, but there's mm-hmm. like animals walking around me. Um, I'm like that that just feels so much more like in your face and real and like at the same time like very spiritual and very like big and heady like beyond myself you know like like uh, and and so that to me I'm like I would just much rather do that all day than not <laughs> uh yes 100% I agree with you um another thing mm-hmm. I thought of while we were talking is what is something that maybe you didn't pay enough attention to and now either regret or you've had to learn it the hard way? Um, I mean, I would say like learning the hard way, part of it for me was probably learning to be a little bit more compassionate with myself. Um, you know, I, I think I was a little bit self-critical when I was younger. And I think some of that, again, a little bit of it was my upbringing and like kind of the theology that I was fed of, you know, being being kind of heavy handed towards myself. Um, you know, so it was very counterintuitive at some point to suddenly say I'm walking around having like having grace for everybody else. But I don't have a lot of that for myself. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and I, I remember even in high school, like I played uh, tennis in high school and, and I would play guys that were like about equal in caliber to me. 
And I would consistently lose to him because I would think this guy can hit the same shots I can. And now it's just an unforced errors game. Like whoever misses the most shots is going to be the guy who loses the match. And I would get hyper focused in my mind of like, I'm going to be that guy. Like the law of averages is not my favor. I'm going to be that guy. Um, you know, and, and it sort of internalized a certain sense of shame in me. Um, you know, and, and my coach was great in the sense that like, he would say like, remember your ground strokes, keep hitting the ball. Like you're, you're doing what you need to do, but he wouldn't like throw in the like mental and emotional component of like, you're fully capable of doing this. It was just like swing the racket and hit the ball. Right. And, and it, you know, wasn't until later in probably like my junior year, the assistant coach started taking a little bit more of an active role and he kind of knew the mental side of the game. And he was like, look, man, these guys are going to mess with you and they're going to get in your head. And if you let them do that, you're, you're going to lose, um, you know, and so like get, get aggressive in your mind and like visualize where you want to go and how you want to win. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I had no reference point for that. And I think honestly, like outside of tennis, I had no reference point for that. Like, you know, there, there were moments where like good opportunities would drop in my lap, but I would look at it and be like, the stars aligned and it just fell. And like, Mm -hmm. I had nothing to do with that. And, and it was like, not, I mean, it goes kind of goes back to the beginning. Like it wasn't really that I was manifesting anything. I wasn't manipulating anything. I was just kind of sitting there waiting on like the law of averages would catch up every once in a while. Like something would just drop. Um, you know, be it like a good internship or something, you know, in college or, you know, the right job would come along at the right time. And like, I was like, not quite paycheck to paycheck anymore. I had a little bit of wiggle room, you know, and, um, you know, but I think there was a lot of kind of shame that got internalized in that. Um, and, and I think for me, and this was the other lesson that has probably been difficult for me is, um, when I feel a lot of shame, like I, I would find myself kind of impulsive with money. And so like, I'd be like, I don't really have money for this, but like, I feel pretty terrible about myself. So I'm gonna put this on the credit card because going out and hanging with the guys and like, you know, mm-hmm. spending a hundred bucks at the arcade or, you know, buying a, you know, guitar pedal or something I don't need. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that, you know, and I would, would buy like gear and equipment and stuff, you know, and, that temporary and you know, yeah, it was was that kind of thing, you know, and, and, and there was ways that I could kind of justify it because, like, I played music in college, and so I was like, okay, I don't need this pedal, but, like, if I use this to get paid on the weekends playing gigs, then, like, that'll work out in my favor, right? Yeah, and so, like, I would it. totally, absolutely, you know, and, you know, it, it, it took me a while to realize, like, how destructive that whole thing was right because i mean in in a lot of ways it's a very like fixed mindset thing right that like Mm -hmm. i can't grow and i can't earn this like so i'm just gonna take it because it's not gonna happen the the way that that it could you know and so okay so i have no idea uh what happened because (laughs) this is so far outside of my wheelhouse um but here we are. We, we've rejoined after <laughs> a long and difficult moment of turmoil. So, it, yeah, it's just, just a brief intermission to hydrate. You know? <laughs> it was perfect. It was perfect. Meant to be. Right. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I'll ask you one last question then, since it's the universe okay. who's trying to shut us down. 
But <laughs> right. what does success look like to you? And how would you help somebody find their version of success? Mm. Um, I mean, success for me is feeling like I I can really show up and be myself. Um, but also like know that I, I want to keep growing and keep developing, you know? Um, I think for, for, a lo- I mean, there's a lot of different components in that, right? Like I'm, I've spent a lot of time in jobs that are while mentally stimulating are not super physically demanding. So I'm a little softer than I'd like to be. Um, you know, and so I think in that sense, like I, I would be game to try to, like, that's something I want to work on a lot this year is trying to really like shift into like being a healthier version of me, like physically. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I've, I've kind of looked at different aspects of that, you know, and done little things, you know, I've tried to like do preventative, like medical appointments and the docs, like not things are good. Like come back when you're sick, you know? And so like, I, I don't get a lot from them. So I think, you know, the next stage of, of that for me is really just, I need to to go all in on like my fitness routine and, and getting back to some conditioning and things, you know, cause what I really want is to like, make sure that the years that I have left with my family are quality and not just, yeah, he's stuck in this bed. You want to go feed him some ice chips? Uh, yeah, you know, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and mind you, like I'm only 42, like I'm, I'm not getting there anytime soon. I don't think, um, knocks on piece of wood, but like I, I, you know, planning to, be able to do some things. I'm, I'm ramping up uh, a private practice that is going to be very nature based. Um, and cause there's really not a lot of that in Oklahoma. So I'm trying to really look at like the clinical stuff of like why being out in nature is good for you and, you know, really encouraging and building outlets for that. Um, so, I mean, that's one component of it. But I mean, the the thing I really come back to is, you know, when all of this started for me back in like 2014, 2015, like the end goal was I, I want to be my own boss so that I know my job is safe and I want to be more than just an every other weekend dad with my kids. Um, I love that. You know, and so all of it for me pivots around like those two things. You know, there, there's a lot of plans and a lot of pie in the sky and things that I want to roll out and all of that. But like, is it going to let me have more time with my kids? Like, that's the filter that like sets the whole thing, um, you know, and, and for me, sometimes that means I have to turn things down that I would normally not want to turn down. Like, I've had to learn to like say no to good things because I'm trying to make room for something that's like way better down the road. Yes. Um and and i think to me like that's a component that i try to really bring to people um like what what i what i think of therapy is that like everybody already has the answer floating around inside their brain or their soul or whatever you want to you know a a bit of both maybe because it's brain and body both like i think that people have the answers they need inside them already like therapy is just a chance to have somebody ask you the right questions that that answer has space and permission to pop up and like say hi. Um, 
And, and for me, like that's been the parts of the work that are the most gratifying is when people are hurt or confused or reeling from trauma or depression or whatever. And they like find their own feet again and realize that they have been standing the whole time and they just needed to remember that they know how to stand and get up and get moving. Um, and, you know, and so for, for me, like that's really where I think the benefit of the work is, is in challenging people where they feel stuck, challenging people where they feel like they don't have control in their life and saying, you know, there, there's potentially ways where you maybe do have a lot more control than you realize. And once they find themselves in that, they say, oh, I can influence this thing, right? And like kind of getting them to that growth mindset component too. Um, but really just pushing people to say, you know, if I, if I want to be better, I got to bet on me. Right. And I think that's exactly where you come in. You know, a lot of people don't know how to find that. We feel so stuck. Mm -hmm. We feel like, and you're right. It's subconsciously, you do know it when somebody Mm -hmm. says it to you and you're, it's like the light bulb turns on and you realize that, oh my gosh, that's, that's what I was supposed to be doing. But until somebody gives you that little push, you don't mm-hmm. know. And you you just feel so alone. That's what it mm-hmm. is. You're alone in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and you know, and I, I think for me that's one of the things that I I appreciate about all of the like twists and turns and like the terrible resume and you know, all the stuff that I've dealt with is like I've, I've got a lot of notches in my belt that I honestly wish weren't there. Um, but I would be a terrible therapist to people if I didn't have them. Right. Cause you can relate. To and people. you can, empathize yeah, no, absolutely. Them. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, look, I, therapists are not supposed to like make the therapy session about them. We're not supposed to overshare or whatever, but I'll tell people like, if we're looking at the anxious end of the pool or the depressing end of the pool, like I'm swimming over in the depressive end of the pool. Like I, I can pull up a playlist on Spotify and have myself in a funk in 10 minutes. And like, it's not even difficult, right? Like, so that means that I've had to learn how to kind of fend for myself in that, you know, cause as, as much as I want to have my family support and have, you know, everybody rally all together, right? Like at the end of the day, like I also have to realize that, even if I met my spouse in like kindergarten, like I still have like five years of my life that I was growing and developing and like she wasn't around. Right. So like I'm the longest running relationship that I'm ever going to have. And if I'm not intentionally making that a really good relationship and a really good space for me to, to live, then I'm potentially doing myself a disservice. Right. Right. No, you're, you're totally right. It's, it's that relationship with ourselves that gets the most messed up and you know we always want to blame it on our parents being emotionally unavailable or you know our job or circumstances or whatever but when it comes down to the relationship with yourself like i used to always used to joke about it but you have to be your own best friend like yeah you have to be there for yourself absolutely Absolutely. yeah i mean and, and i even tell people that like you know they're like that comes up in couples therapy sometimes, you know, like couples will be like, well, you know, this person just doesn't listen to me or they don't do this or whatever. And I'm like, okay, like we can work on those things. But also at the end of the day, like you guys are in this thing where both of you are fully functional, independent people, 
you can pay your bills, you can do your stuff, right? Like you can do those things independently, but you just choose to be awesome together instead because it's more fun being under one roof together than it is not being under one roof, right? right? And that to me is like so far different than the Jerry Maguire, like, oh, you complete me thing. Like, no. you complete you, you right? Complete like, you, yeah. right. And, and I think... That may be a John Kim thing. I, I might be stealing oh from gosh, him there. I can't I remember. Love but... him. Right. Yeah, no, he's great. Um, I I think that might be one of his bits is like you complete you. But I mean, I I totally agree with him. Like yeah. I I can't, you know, it's like I I at the end of the day am responsible for myself and I'm responsible for my own decisions. And there will I mean, my mood is like weather, right? Like and and weather changes. And so if I feel bad one day that's not going to be every day unless I choose to set myself up there and let it continue to be that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, so I, I think there are, are pieces of it that, you know, I, I have to remember, I do have some influence and some control. Um, so yeah. So one of the, uh, best descriptions I guess I heard for marriage recently was just two people hanging out until one of them dies. <laughs> but I thought it's true. Like, do you just want to hang right. out for the rest of our lives? Right. And yeah, I think that's awesome. I mean, granted, it's not a, a friendship, you know, or it's not a roommate situation, but really, like, you're enjoying mm -hmm. somebody's company until they're mm -hmm. removed from your life. And which comes down to being that best friend for yourself. And if you can't stand up for yourself and be that better version of yourself, how are you going to benefit them? Right. Like they're right. not your life jacket. They're not going to save you. You, you have to save yourself. Right. Well, and, and what I noticed too, is like the, the people that I gravitate towards most are the ones that feel like family, even if they aren't right. Like, yes. And, and I'm like, okay, if this person feels like family, then like I need to keep them around. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I mean, even in that, it's like they, they can still choose to leave or, you know, maybe life gets hectic. They get busy they they fall out by the wayside you know i mean like mm -hmm. it it's one of those deals as long as we are regularly turning towards each other then exactly. we're doing the right thing exactly right? And you can you can't control other people you can control right. yourself you know and so that's hard for a lot of people i won't name names <laughs> amy <laughs> but you know all i can <laughs> control is myself and that's i'm to the point like i'm okay with that like i said earlier people come and they go and you you have to let them go. You have to be okay with the universe saying, you don't need this person anymore because there's something better for you, for you, right. you know, and, right. and it's not selfish. It's putting yourself first so you can be that better version for someone else or for something else. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the way I kind of explain it to people sometimes is it's like bands, right? Like, there's that band that you remember hearing in college that you were like, oh man, that album's so good. And they've had seven albums come out since, but you don't, you've never heard any of them, right? Like, yes. like all the stars aligned and like that album dropped. And for like a year or two, you were like, I'm a Goo Goo Dolls fan. Gutterflower was so good, <laughs> Goo -Goo right? Dolls, and, oh my gosh, you know, yes. But, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, that was my <laughs> sophomore year of college. Totally saw them at a local university and it was a, it was an interesting night. Um, you know, but like, like there's, uh, but it was like, you know, like, okay, cool. There's this, like, everything's aligned. This is like here. 
And then a couple of years later, they're like, hey, what's your favorite band that you listen to? And it's somebody entirely different. Right. And, you know, and I mean, there's like music that I listen to that's a little more timeless. And I've always got some of that on standby. But like the stuff that I'm really listening to that I'm doing like deep dives on, like it changes every couple of years sometimes. Yeah. And like my favorite song, I, I, <laughs> no lie, changes weekly, sometimes daily. Yeah. You know, like, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Am I fickle? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> no, I, I totally get that. I mean, that's there because there's so much like good music to be found out there right like so it's easy to like i need to go find somebody new i want to go find something different and you know like i i find myself sometimes like i've got ones that i definitely come back to you um you know and and there's musicians that write songs that like lyrically or otherwise like they get me and i'm like okay i'm always going to be listening to this person right like like noah gunderson's a good one for me like that mm-hmm. i feel like he writes songs that are just like he's pulling my mind out and like putting it on paper and I don't remember consenting to that, but somehow like <laughs> those songs like make sense. Right. Yes, that's so perfect. And, yes. But I also have to be really careful how much Noah Gunderson I listen to because some of his stuff's kind of dark and right. it'll put me in the depressing end of the pool really fast. Yes. So I have to counterweight it. Yes. Right? Now, do you um, think that when you get into those funky moods, because I wonder this about myself and I wonder it for other people too, because uh-huh. music does this to me. I can put on a sad song and it's like, bam, I am feeling it. Now music and I have a love, love connection. But uh-huh. is it, when we hear these things, are we feeling what's going on in our life now in the present? Or is it the past? There's, oh, there's I think it's all of it. Really? That's so uh, much. Yeah, no, That's I'd, so much. I got to put I'd, on a happy song, but... The sad ones, holy right. shit. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, one of my buddies made this comment. He's like, sad songs say so much. And I, like, totally stole that phrase and made a playlist about it. Like, I mean, <laughs> I was like, so you true. know, and, and, and I get that. So I mean, there there's, like, a gravitas to the whole thing that, like, sad songs connect in ways and and they hit different, right? Like, I mean, I one of my, my friends was talking about this once. He's like, you pull a room full of people and say, how many of you have been to Disney World? And like everybody's hands will go up and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was so cool. We loved it. We saw Mickey Mouse and this and that and da, da, da. And then he's like, OK, different poll question. How many of you have been impacted by cancer? And like the way people's eyes lock when they pan around the room looking at each other, mm-hmm. it's a whole lot different than the Mickey Mouse crab. Um, you know, and, and so I think there is a, by the way. It, well, and yeah, it's 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 not really a poll I you know, want to run in a group full of people, <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, it. I, I think there is something to it, and and again, like sometimes it's I need to sit in one of those heavy, sad songs because that song is speaking the words that I can't pull to myself, yes. right? Like music I, says I can't the words articulate. that you can't. Yes, yes, that you can't articulate. Right. And, and honestly, like, I mean, even growing up in church, like I used to hate liturgical stuff, but the older I've gotten, the more I get why liturgy's there. Cause it's the same thing. I'm throwing like a lyric and a spiritual framework that like articulates how I feel relative to my spirituality that like, I can't pull the words for. Right. Um, and so sometimes like I need that heavy song to just normalize somebody else felt this way and they wrote a really nice song about it. And like, it's not just you. Um, you know, but other times I have to play like some Bob Marley or something because I can't be pissed and listen to reggae at the same time. It just can't happen. And Can you so be sometimes, sober and listen to reggae? 
You know, I've actually found a lot of ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's easy to do on the Bible Belt, right? Oh, um, yeah, right. So yeah, um, no, it's it, it's doable. Um, but you know, but sometimes you you need that stuff, or you know, like a stand up comedian or something. Sometimes I need something that counterweights my emotions mm-hmm. and the way I feel. But other times it's like, no, I just need somebody to see me, and nobody's seeing me, so this song lyrics going to be what sees me. I love that. I get that. I can totally relate to it. And the best place for music is sitting in my vehicle with yep. the volume all the way up. That's my favorite. Yep. Always splurge on the premium audio in the car. Always. Always. Yes. <laughs> I can't because I have a work vehicle. But if I get my own yeah. personal again, then yes, it's it matters. It really matters. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, that it's funny, like, there, there's this cultural thing, you know, I think of, like, people kind of make jokes about it, but all of us are a little tongue-in-cheek about it, because I think we know we're all doing it, of, you know, you come home, and then you sit in the driveway for, like, five or ten minutes, and you just decompress, and, you know, or sometimes people, like, sit in the bathroom, it's like, I'm not going to the bathroom, I just need, like, a quiet place that I can just sit, and, and I don't have to be on for anybody, you know? <laughs> Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah, the um, older I get, the longer I sit in my car when I get home, and I don't know why yeah. nobody's in my house. It's just me, but right. it's like that safe yeah. place of my vehicle and the music. And I'm like, I could just, I could sit here for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I have to be careful because my dog will see me through the window, and she gets <laughs> real judgy if I stay out there for too long. <laughs> well, I guess that's probably good for you then. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's good. I learned quickly when I first got her that if I didn't leave the mini blinds open, she'd chew a hole in them so she could see outside. So oh I've, my gosh. I've learned she she keeps an eye out for me. What kind of dog is this? Uh, she is the shelter I got her from. They told me she was an Anatolian Shepherd mix. Oh yeah. Um, but I think she has some husky in her because she's got like the widow's peak and she loves the cold and uh and she's real talkative like huskies. Uh-huh. Um. So, so I, I think she may have a little husky in her too, but yeah, she's a hoot. She's super chill, like 90% of the time. But if, if she can't see outside, she will find a way that she's then <laughs> able to see outside. That sounds like it could be dangerous. Yeah. At, at one point I had a, a note of like all the measurements of every mini blind in my house in case I had to go replace one quickly. I knew which <laughs> one was which. Oh my gosh. What a sweet yeah. puppy. Well... I will ask you one last thing, and that is, let's say that all these listeners were your client, and we've come to a place where maybe we don't need to see you as quite as often. What Mm -hmm. are a few parting words that you would say? Mm, I, I think in that situation, I would say, like, be really proud of the work that you've done, because, like, the work is the process, right? Like, you know, the, the whole thing is, it's not about like getting to the top of the mountain because when you get to the mountain, you turn around, and you come back down, right? Like yeah. 90% of the process is like in between the, the start point and the, the finish. Right. And, you know, it's, it's building the process and building the, the rhythm that you want to live most. That's like the thing that matters, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I tell people I'm I'm trying to work myself out of a job, but every time I turn around, there's somebody new waiting. And and on the one hand, I'm thrilled to hold that space with people. Um, like I love it, 
and and it's something that I take really serious, like to to sit with somebody in in that space. Um, but man, when when people get to a point where they're like, yeah, I don't know that I need to like come see all that often anymore. Like that doesn't hurt my feelings because it means that you have have found your feet and you're. I mean, it, it's like riding a bike, right? Like, as, as soon as you, like, learn to pedal and you, like, get it, you pull away from the guy holding the back seat, keeping you propped up, right? right. And at that point, everyone celebrates, right? And and it's it's like that, you know? So I think to, to people who are like, yeah, I think I'm good. Like, perfect. Like, you know where to find me if you need something. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you've, you've found what you needed for yourself. And, like, be proud of that. And continue to be better to yourself than you think you need to be. That's wonderful. Well said. Well, thank you, Thomas, for coming on my show. Yeah. Sorry. About Absolutely. No, it's just so technical fun. Difficulties, but you know, yeah. we worked yeah. through it. No, it's all right. <laughs> Absolutely. Enjoy Absolutely. the rest of your night. I'm sure we will chat again. Yeah, for sure. I would love to. And all of our people in Oklahoma will have to go see you. Right? <laughs> Look up Thomas and Oklahoma. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Perfect. Well, take I'm, care and I'm we'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Amy. Thanks. Bye. Alrighty. Bye. Thank you guys for listening in on tonight's show. I hope that some of that meant something to you. I don't think that we talk about mental health enough in this country. It's looked at as something for people who are terribly off. And I think really and truly, it's something that we could all benefit from. I've seen a therapist for a long time and it's something like no matter what you've gone through or what's going on in your life, it doesn't hurt to talk to someone. You know, when they say like, if you tell your problems to more than three people, you're looking for attention, not for help. If you're really looking for help, I highly recommend you talk to a therapist. If you're having trouble finding somebody, there's always better help online. Uh, that's who I've gone through. If you're interested in meeting up with Thomas, He is at Sequoia Mental Health in Oklahoma City, and he would love to talk to you. My friends, I so appreciate you. Now get out there. Be brave. Be bold. Stay true to who you are. And leave a legacy that's worth talking about. I'll see you next time.